Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Acts and find in the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're looking this morning at Acts 5, 1 through 16. Okay, you here? We're good? Happy New Year? Everybody awake? Huh? Yeah? yeah. All right. Let me know when you get to Acts chapter 5. I'll wait for you. Um, listen, all subtractions are not bad. Right? Some are blessed. This is true for a group of people. Think about that team that once they got rid of that one player, they improved. Could be true if you have a toxic roommate. Could be if you're working on a project in school and that one member of the group is no longer part of the group. Blessed subtraction. It's true if you're on a plane and the plane lands to let the hijackers deboard the plane. That's a blessed subtraction. It's not just true in groups. It's true for our lives personally as well. As individuals, I think everybody would agree that the subtraction of debt is blessed. Amen? Yeah, we don't want that. To get rid of a bad habit, to perhaps eliminate an unhealthy relationship, or to expose a secret sin and address it. These can be blessed subtractions. In the Bible, the sailors who were not Jewish or Christians, but were sailing and they had on their boat that day a man named Jonah. They were really happy when Jonah volunteered to jump out of the boat. It was a blessed subtraction. You know, Jesus, uh, after in the Gospel of John, after he declared that he was the bread of life, a lot of people said, this is a hard saying, who can handle it? And it says that the crowds that were following him, they dispersed and only the disciples were left. Christianity is not for everybody. So the title of the message this morning is Blessed Subtractions, because that is what we're going to see this morning as we consider the story of two people in the early church in Jerusalem. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. Now, I don't say blessed subtraction about them in any kind of heartless way. I don't think of them, and nor should you, as disposable, because that's not true of anybody. They are made in God's image. God loves them. But when you take the perspective of the health of the early church and the presence of the holiness of God, it is indeed a blessed subtraction. Let me say this last thing before I read the passage. I often hear from people, and I guarantee you this morning there are people here who you have thought this very recently, but I often hear it from people just everywhere, that the biggest problem that, that someone has at times with Christianity or with the church is the hypocrites in the church, the people who aren't honest about who they really are. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've had that thought, 
that God feels much more strongly about that than you ever could. And you're gonna see how he deals with it this morning in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So let me just read without any further delay, Acts 5, 1 through 16, and then I will pray for us. And then we will go through four points that we have before us today. Acts 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all of all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Oh, man, what a story. Y'all believe this? It's in the Bible? Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yeah, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband in great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now verse 12 through 16, I believe is very connected to this story. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. Bow with me. Lord, we thank you this morning for this story in the book of Acts. Lord, may it uh, wake us up. May we have the response that the church had when they not heard this story, but they really witnessed it. May we be a people who have great fear of the Lord in our lives. Great fear of your holiness. Great fear of of not living according to your will. And a great fear, Lord, of your love and your grace that casts out all fear. We praise you this morning and we ask your blessing on this time of studying your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're going to look at four points this morning about Ananias and Sapphira. The title again, Blessed Subtraction. So the first one is the conspiracy from verses one through two. And what we see here is we see what sin looks like. We see what sin looks like. But first, let's meet this couple. So it says, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira. Okay, now there is another Ananias who will be coming up later in the book of Acts, a different person, obviously, because this one, hello, dies, right, in this story, okay? But uh, there is another Ananias. This is the name Hananiah from the Old Testament. This is basically the name Hannah or the name Anna, which means gracious. So really his name means the Lord Yahweh is gracious and his wife Sapphira, her name means beautiful. So we're going to look at this couple. I mean, in verse one, it says, but a man named Ananias. So we should understand that this is connected to the verses that precede it. And so if you were to look, and you can, if you like, at the last two verses of chapter four, what you will see is that Barnabas is commended by Luke, and he gives this gift. He sells a field, and he gives the proceeds, and he lays them at the apostles' feet. And we can only imagine that this must have been a great encouragement to the church and to the apostles. And you can just picture the scene of Ananias and Sapphira. They were there that day when Barnabas did what he did, and they took a mental note of how great it must have been to be Barnabas, the person donating the big donation. And so that happened at the end of chapter four. And so chapter five starts with, but another thing that's been happening in Acts so far is everything's been going awesome. There has been some persecution of the Christian church starting in Acts three and Acts four. But as far as the group, as far as the people inside the walls of this early church, this new Christian community, nothing's really been that bad. It's been great, great unity, koinonia, awesome fellowship. It's been amazing. Verse five starts with, but because this is where things begin to unravel a bit. We see sin in the church here. But a man named Yahweh is gracious, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, what did they do? Well, they they copied Barnabas, right? Look at it. They sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet couple things here. Again, we're looking at the conspiracy that Ananias and Sapphira participate in. First, we should see that the sin that they committed was not the amount of their offering. It wasn't related to that at all. It was related to their being deceitful about it. Their sin was hypocrisy. Their sin, as we will see in our next point, was deep. 
In fact, it's going to be in this point. But I want you to make a special notice here of how Luke goes out of his way to point out that they were together in this. Okay? Do you see in verse 1, a man named Ananias, it says, do you see it? With his wife. Then he continues in that in verse 2, and he says, and with his wife's knowledge. It's like, why, why do you keep pointing this out, Luke? Because they're both responsible. And I think we could take something away from that, right? I mean, listen, this couple, in some ways, they were doing everything right. They had their budget meeting, okay? Dave Ramsey said, you know, the nerd and the free spirit have to come together. They got to have their budget meeting. Ananias was leading well in that regard. They sat down. They talked. They were on the same page. They were together. He was with his wife. They were together in this. It's interesting, right? They were so unified. They were communicating. They were together. They had secrets that no one else had. They had great intimacy. That's what intimacy is, right? You can be completely unified with your spouse and completely out of the will of God. And that's the point. And actually, in marriage, we're called to be sort of a community. And we are to help one another follow God's will. And if you're not married, and you're part of community still. And that's the purpose of community. That's why it says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. We need each other. And Ananias had Sapphira here. And Sapphira had Ananias here. But they didn't help each other out. They led each other to sin. Now, again, what does sin look like? What is Luke pointing out here? As we sort of put this story and what their sort of conspiracy was under, let's say, a microscope, what do we actually see? And here's what I think is really important that we see. That the first major sin, make a note of this, the first major sin in the early church is not what you would expect it to be. It is not premarital sex. It is not pornography. It is not adultery. It is not smoking weed. It's not getting drunk. It's not watching too much sketchy stuff on Netflix. Nope. It's not. The first major sin involves someone at a worship service making a donation to their church. Wow. But when you look closer, you see why this sin was so hideous and so potentially harmful to the early Christian church. Their sin was idolatry, defilement, dishonor, stealing, deception, and covetousness. And just let me show you. So what we can do here, let's consider the Ten Commandments for a moment. I'm going to put a picture on the screen just with an image that will kind of help you remember the Ten Commandments. Let's just consider the Ten Commandments. They broke most of them with their action. They put a God who is not omniscient or holy before the true God by thinking that they could somehow like do this and trick God. So they violated the first commandment. 
They made a God, an idol of the enjoyment of being esteemed and perceived by others as being generous and spiritual. We shouldn't have idols, the Ten Commandments say. They made an idol out of being perceived by others a certain way. That was their functional savior. That's gonna be so good if we can get that. They made an idol out of the security and enjoyment they believed their money would give them. And so they violated the second commandment of idolatry. Well, they didn't take the Lord's name in vain that we know of. Pass number three. Number four, they defiled the day of worship with their false worship. If you want to kind of make that connection between honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, here we go. Two people come in and stink up the day of worship with their corpses. Number five, we don't know about their relationship with their parents. We're supposed to honor our father and mother, but these actions certainly would have dishonored their father and mother. Number six, murder. Well, okay. <laughs> I would say the actions of Ananias killed his wife, wouldn't you? And I would say the inaction of Sapphira killed Ananias. Enabling inaction, not fulfilling the calling to be a helper, poor leadership and leading one's family off a spiritual cliff, Ananias. Number seven, they didn't commit adultery. Well, but they did both greatly fail to live out God's intended purpose for their marriage. Number eight, they did not steal. Actually, I think that's the only one they didn't do, truly. That and take the Lord's name in vain. They actually didn't steal, which actually is probably what we thought they did do. Peter actually goes out of his way in the following verses to point out, you didn't have to do this. It was yours. You, you, you didn't have to even give it. Like, they didn't steal. You could say maybe they did. You can discuss that in fellowship group. Number nine, they did lie. They lied so badly. And it wasn't really like a lie, like a direct lie, right? It was a sort of white lie. It was a sort of flash misrepresentation. Like, here you go. We're just like Barnabas. They did covet. They coveted what Barnabas got and how he was perceived. And they coveted what they thought their money could get them, which is why they held some back. And so when you think about this, you think about, whoa, no wonder this was such a big deal. And God found it so needed to arrest the situation and give a wake-up call to the early church. This was hideous and could be so harmful were it not challenged. So God, through the pen of Luke, is saying to the early church, and he's saying to you this morning, that the sinner he is concerned about is not just the Roman who worships the emperor in the Roman Empire or the Jew who's rejected the Messiah, or the prostitute, or the Muslim, or the people with the rainbow love is love yard sign, or the billionaire who lacks kindness and gets his way because of his money. No, the sinner can be the husband and wife near the front of the service at church, 
making the big donation. We must check our hearts before Jesus. We must look into the mirror of God's word, which reflects his holy character. And unlike Ananias and Sapphira, we must actually help each other and be community with one another. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? David says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The conspiracy, point one, looking at what sin looks like. Now the confrontation, the confrontation where we really see Peter confront them and really expose their sin. And in doing so, we see what sin really is. Okay, and there will be four quick subpoints on this one. But look at verse three. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man but to God. Now, it's interesting. Make a note of this. They walk in, they put their gift down, and what does Peter do? He immediately says, why has Satan filled your heart? (laughs) I mean, that would be pretty presumptuous of the leader of a worship gathering to just roll right out with that. And hopefully... That would never happen uh, at Fellowship Raleigh or at a church that you would attend. But I think the fact that Peter was able to do that shows that God gave him a revelation about Ananias and Sapphira's gift. And I think it's important that we see that that kind of thing can happen. And I think it's important that we see that the fact that that kind of thing can happen is what makes the church gathering for worship different. Ananias and Sapphira weren't just bringing a philanthropic donation to a human gathering. They were walking in to a worship gathering of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Holy Spirit was active. And it's unique and it's different. And we have to remember that. I think Ananias and Sapphira's biggest problem was that they were materialistic, not wanting stuff, but just only seeing stuff and not seeing the spiritual realities. So I just want to show you four quick things about what sin is. And the first one is that sin is satanic. Sin is satanic. You say, man, every pastor says that. Where are you getting that from? It's just right here in the verse. Right here in the verse. Look at what Peter says to him. I mean, he comes strong right away. He's like, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Man. Okay. Why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit. The word here for filled is a word that we've seen in Acts so far already, haven't we? On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The idea is a controlling filling. It's also used in reference to the people being filled with jealousy or people being filled with wine or people being filled with wonder. Here, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? A controlling filling. In fact, Luke earlier in the gospel of Luke, remember Luke wrote the book of Acts. So part two is Acts. Part one is the gospel of Luke. In the gospel of Luke, he actually says that Satan entered Judas. Sin is satanic. But we must be careful that we not just blame everything on the devil. It says later in this passage, Peter says to Ananias that he has contrived this deed in his own heart. And so while it is satanic, it is also Ananias's own flesh, which has led him to choose to sin. Sin is satanic. Number two, sin is against God. Look at what Peter confronts him with. He says, Ananias, you are lying to the Holy Spirit. You are lying not to man, it says, but to God. Now, this is an important passage for the doctrine of the Trinity in Christianity. In fact, I've never preached this passage other than just to flip to it very quickly to point out that Peter says that the Holy Spirit is God. And it is an important passage for that. But what we see more clearly, not that we don't see that completely clearly, but what we see really clearly here is that Peter is reminding Ananias that he has sinned against God. Sin is against God. Sin is not just horizontal. It's also vertical. Ananias and Sapphira may have just thought they were sinning against Peter and against the early church budget. No big deal. Peter's a sinner too. He's been forgiven. He denied Christ three times. He was forgiven. Look at him. He's in leadership. He can forgive them. The church budget will be fine. God's sovereign. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Barnabas gave a huge donation. We'll be good. All horizontal thinking. Never thinking about how their sin is lying to the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51, when Peter is confessing, I'm sorry, when David is confessing in Psalm 51, what he had done with Bathsheba, he had stolen her, slept with her. What he had done with Uriah, her husband, he'd murdered him. In his confession, he doesn't even mention Bathsheba or Uriah. He says, against you, Lord, only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's so key that we see that our sin separates us from God that our sin is not just horizontal, it's vertical. We need to be made right with God as sinners. That's why Jesus came to be the one mediator between God and man. So sin is against God. The third thing, the third sub point here is that sin is stupid. <laughs> and listen, I say that, I mean, as a sinner, okay? So I'm calling myself stupid, and you. 
sin is stupid. That's what Peter says to Ananias here in verse 4. I mean, he's like, Ananias, you can almost feel him pleading with Ananias. Like, come on, bro. While it remained unsold, like when you and Sapphira had that field and it wasn't even sold, wasn't it yours? It wasn't like God said you had to give it to him. It was just yours. He blessed you with it. And then after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Wasn't all the profit from the sale, wasn't it yours? You were not required, Ananias, to give anything. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? In other words, Peter's saying, no, come on, Ananias. You've done something really stupid. Why? Ananias and Sapphira were clearly not thinking clearly, which is what sin does to our minds. Number one, they lied to an omniscient God. Hello, that's never a good plan. Number two, they were not required at all to sell their land and donate anything. Number three, they could have only donated part of their profit, been upfront about that, and they would have been all good. They would have probably been honored for their gift. That would have been so smart, wouldn't it? But sin is stupid. So the fourth thing about sin, and this is where it gets super serious, is that sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. Look at verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose up and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. And Peter, or no, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Isn't that amazing? Three hours later, what happened? Well, she was like, he, he didn't come back for three hours. Where is he? Took her three hours to be like, maybe he got delayed at church. So she went there, walked in, kind of, you know, with that swagger, like, yep. I'm Ananias' wife. Yep, that's us. Uh, yeah, is it tax deductible? He said I could pick up the receipt here. Um, and, well, Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It's really, this is an amazing story. This doesn't happen normally in church if you're visiting or you're not, like, familiar. Um, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yep. For so much. It's interesting that Luke does not give us the amount. He probably knew, but he knew that we didn't need to know. But Peter said to her, Oh, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Peter was hoping for something that we as readers already knew was not the case. Peter was hoping maybe Ananias didn't tell Sapphira about this. He was sort of off on his own on this wild plan. Nope. You agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Can you imagine her thought at this moment? Wait, what? 
This just went a very different direction than I was thinking. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Then the young men came in. They found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. All right. <laughs> let's, let's, let's have an autopsy here. What killed Ananias and Sapphira? Was it cardiac arrest? Did they get the vaccine? Was it the horror of being exposed and the idols in their heart being laid bare and being taken away? I, prior to studying, always pictured this story where Peter gives like a Derek Zoolander look at them and they just fall dead, you know? But that's not it. Was it simply that God in judgment took their life? And I guess you could say with Sapphira, it's a little different. What, what killed her? The same questions would be true. Or was it a broken heart? in shock that her husband had died. We can only speculate. We don't know. We do know that Peter knew. Peter said, Sapphira, the men who just buried your husband, they're at the door. They're going to bury you. He knew God had revealed it to him. They were going to die. Maybe that sheds light on the fact that God took their lives. And God is the God of life who gives and takes it away. In Genesis 2, we learn that when we sin, we surely shall die. Romans 3.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And this is the thing we have to remember. God has every right to demand the wages of sin from you and me at any time. Are you ready for that today? The only difference between Ananias and Sapphira, who are sinners, and us, who also are sinners, is perhaps whether we are with our faith in Jesus Christ and covered by the blood of Christ. And we don't even know, maybe they were Christians. Romans 2 verse 4 says to beware of presuming upon the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God has every right to demand the wages of sin, which is death at any time. Are we ready for that? I wonder, were Ananias and Sapphira saved? We can only speculate. We don't know their full story. They were considered to be part of the church. Maybe they were not. Let's think for a moment about that. Maybe they were not saved. They were not really even real Christians. Is that how you think about it? Okay. They were just religious people that wanted to look the part or maybe wanted to learn more but had not yet become Christian. If so, then think about it. They went directly from placing their offering in the plate to hell. 
Wow. It's possible that they were Christians, that they had placed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but genuine Christians, you know this to be true, and I do too, genuine Christians do commit sins like this. Amen? If so, then we are just to confess our sins. Peter had sinned, and God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if they were followers of Christ, then they went directly to heaven. And their sin, even this great sin, is 100% covered by the blood of Christ. Romans 8 says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The thief on the cross next to Jesus had no Christian good works in his life. The only thing he had going for him was at the end of his life, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Christ can wash away our sins. Now, Luke, the writer of Acts, is not intending that we would endlessly speculate on the eternal destiny of this couple, but that we would ask about our own relationship with Jesus. Again, God has every right as a holy God to demand the wages of sin at any time. Are you ready for that? They breathed their last because their breath was on loan from heaven. We do not treat lightly, play with, or merely manage things that we truly believe to be deadly. Think poisonous snakes. Think deadly viruses. Think extremely dangerous equipment and tools. We don't. We don't treat it lightly. Again, sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. Are you ready for that? Are you taking sin seriously in your life as a Christian and fleeing and confessing and repenting and following Christ in community with other believers? Okay. The conspiracy, what sin looks like. The confrontation, what sin is. And these next two points are actually really quick. The consequence, where sin leads. And this is from verse 5, all of verse 5, and verse 10 through 11. And I think you have a small... Correction to make on your insert if you're using one. Verse five, we're just rereading verse five. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Here's what I want you to see. And great fear came upon all who heard it. Verse 10 talks about Sapphira's death. And then verse 11 says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The point is this. We already covered the consequence of sin in Ananias and Sapphira's life, which was death. Now, and right here with this point, I want us to consider the consequence of this event in the life of the early church. Luke makes sure to point this out. He mentions it two times. What does he say? He says, great fear. He says, mega 
Phobia, that's what he says. Great fear. He says it twice. This is the consequence in the life of the church of this story. Why does that matter? Here's why. You know, it is often said that good parenting advice is that if you have a very strong-willed child, I'm sorry if there are some strong-willed children here this morning that you have to hear this, If you have a very strong-willed child, you as a parent must break the will of your child early and quickly with loving, firm, and consistent discipline. And you, parent, must ensure that they have appropriate fear of the authority of you as their parent. You must do this early on. So I'm just saying that's like real classic parenting guidance for free today, not related to the sermon. But that's what's going on here in the life of the early church. Similar to some of the accounts in the Old Testament in Israel where Achan stole things that were not his when they defeated Jericho or where Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire or where Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel 6. And God had to, because his holiness was trespassed upon, make a huge point to the people of God about his character and who he is. The Lord was using this situation of Ananias and Sapphira to teach a major lesson to the early Christian church, and they learned it, which is what Luke's point is. They had great fear. They were not casual in the presence of God anymore. They learned that God is holy. This is the same God as the Old Testament. They learned that sin is a threat to the health of the unique fellowship, the koinonia that God has blessed the early church with. And they learned that we must address sin. And that's the fourth point, the church, when sin is addressed. So let me read to you verses 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even, or so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, there is a lot we could unpack here, and we will not have time to do justice to it in the way I'd love to. But as a summary, I believe these verses, 12 through 16, are teaching you and me this morning that the church that is willing to address sin will experience the power of God and truly grow gospel growth in Christ. 
Verse 13 is a strange verse. It says that none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Luke is just saying that the apostles, they kept teaching in Solomon's portico and they were leading people to Christ. But the rest of the Christians in Jerusalem, they kept their distance from Solomon's portico so that they weren't like quite ready to be that bold. But they, it says in verse 13, held the apostles in high esteem. Verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, men and women. Verse 15, I mean, verse 15, they were, people were trying to kind of see if Peter's shadow would touch them, okay? It doesn't say that Peter's shadow did heal people, okay? But people do strange things. Verse 16, they had a significant healing ministry in the early days of the Christian church. Not every believer was healing people, but the apostles were healing people as a powerful testimony that their teaching was valid and true and that the word of God, which they would pin, is valid and true. So, blessed subtractions. Again, I truly believe these final verses are teaching us something. Verses 12 through 16 is a lesson for us that the church that is willing to address, to subtract sin will be a church who is blessed, blessed subtractions with experience of the power of God and true growth. But also the Christian, you individually, who is willing to address sin, subtraction will be blessed with the experience of the presence and power of God in your life and of growth in your life as a Christian. Blessed subtractions. Let's pray.